Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on. Yep, one of our favorite subjects murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine our two favorite subjects baking and killers? And hello. Hello. Um, I'm Karen Devaney. Are you sure? I was about to <laughs> mess that up, but I am today. I'm Karen Devaney. And I'm Ann Varner. And welcome to Sugarcoated Murder Podcast. Yay! Yay us! Yes, we're going. Flipping it around again. Yeah, we're flipping it around. We're in my kitchen today, which is awesome. Yay. I like it. I like it a lot. And Anna's cooking, which is something I really enjoy. Yeah. And um, I'm the one-armed bandit right now because I've had shoulder surgery and I'm in this weird sling, I don't know, what do they call immobilizer thing that's got some kind of a wedge. There's a wedge that's been driven between me and my arm. Yes, you've been wedged. Yes. So, and I've um, had rotator cuff surgery. I've had rotator cuff surgery. I had two new cow tendons implanted, three synthetic patches in my arm because evidently I just didn't have a tendon left. Oh. And I had um, a slight tear that was repaired in my rotator cuff, and then there's some cartilage that goes around, and that had all this jagged fraying, so they smoothed, sanded all of that down, and they even shaved my bone. Wow. So you had like a whole duo yeah. on your shoulder. Yeah, I did. They didn't replace my shoulder, but they've replaced everything but the shoulder, right. it seems. <laughs> yes. So I'm in this immobilizer, and I, you know, I'm tr- I try to, you know, feel blessed that I've got so many great people, including my sister, that help take care of me and everything. But then there are times where I think I... I don't like this. I'm over this. It's pissing me off. I'm frustrated. I had a little bit of a meltdown last night when it was time for bed because I'm so tired of sleeping in a recliner. I've been <laughs> sleeping in a recliner for well over a week now, and it does not make me happy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a mess. Yeah. I'm a mess. So, um, anyway, welcome to Sugar-Coated Murder. Yes. <laughs> where we complain about our bodily parts, and then we think and well, talk about Well, 2020 has not been kind. No, it really hasn't. Your second surgery, so yeah, it, it takes a toll on you. Yeah, it does, and I'm just, I don't like the recovery. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to have to rely on other people. Right, yeah. I just hate it's it. The feeling of taking away your independence. Yeah, and I just, this one has really rendered me feeling quite helpless. Yeah. So, yes, Scott, let's talk, let's talk about your... Do we have your, to? I mean, we can. I think that it's exciting. Is it exciting? Well, um, I thought it was, but... I thought it was pretty resourceful on my part. I think so, too. To come up with this. So, um, wait, can you just stop that for a minute? Click the back of the bowl into place, because it's shaking. There's a... just the back of the bowl you have to press down and it'll click 
for real. There. I got it. Yeah, now it won't shake. Okay, okay. sorry. Technical issues That's because right. she's I'm, not used to my I'm using her KitchenAid and it's very old and I'm not used to it. Well but. loved and weathered, but I will tell you it is a young model <laughs> or an old model, whatever. It's it's tried and true. Right. So what we were talking about earlier is <coughs> she was smart enough to get herself a bidet. I got a bidet attachment because I can't afford a new bidet. I'm, I don't make any money off this podcast. So, um I got a bidet attachment, which I thought this is so genius because yes. it's my right shoulder that was operated on, which rendered my right hand completely useless right exactly. now. And then I was like, well, there's some things that happen behind closed doors in the bathroom that I rely on my right hand for. Yes. And even though I tried to practice doing those things with my left hand, it really was not going well. I think my left hand is about two inches shorter than my right <laughs> hand somehow. And I'm very uncoordinated. And so I really was just all to pieces about, like I was getting ready to cancel the surgery because I, I was just like, listen, there's just a certain line that I am willing to draw in life and this is one of them. Right. So I, I looked up some different stuff and I found this bidet attachment, which has been fun for all because <laughs> I thought, well, we'll just attach it to the left hand side of the toilet. That makes sense, right? Yes. Well, evidently, it only attaches to the right-hand side, right. rendering me, yet again, freaking helpless. Right. So now, the fun for everybody is who gets to work the bidet controls when Karen goes potty. I don't mind working the bidet controls, but admittedly, I am not good at admittedly, it. Admittedly, you you, I would say you need a little more practice, but I don't want to be the one that you practice <laughs> on because things have gone awry several times. And then she does have a bidet. I've, chosen not, I've tried the bidet once, and it sprayed all over the side <laughs> of the wall, so I didn't do it again. I'm not used to it. And I thought one day, under the stupor of my pain medicine, <laughs> that it would just be so much more useful if I could turn around and use it myself. So I decided to sit on the toilet facing backwards, backwards yeah. and to use the controls, which I had never used before and didn't realize it's not just a click, it's a very gradual turn. Very so I turned it turn. on um, fire hose blast. Yeah. <laughs> and because of the way I was sitting, it, it hit me right in my stomach. And then it just went everywhere. It went everywhere except for where it was supposed to go. I will say the best part of it has been listening to people who come over to visit and decide to try the bidet yes. in the bathroom because you hear, all of a sudden you hear this, oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was too cheap to pay the extra $20 to get the warm water setting, so it's just straight cold water. It's cold water. And it's a little bit of a shot. You have to adjust it, the spray. On the area that you want to clean. Yeah, and the, and the position, and then and then you turn it on, and people don't know to turn it on gradual. They're just looking for a click, and that click means fire hose pressure, and it, there have been a lot of, wah! Yeah. So, um, mostly from women, the men seem to love it. <laughs> so, I don't know what's going on with that, but whatever. So, enough of my bidet. All right. And my, um, I, I mean, I'm trying to be a tidy tinkler, but I got to tell you, it, I rely on the help of others at this point. So. And you know what? That's what family is for. It is what family is for. I agree, but and not something I'm interested in sharing. I think there was a reason that I went to nursing school but didn't finish. Maybe. Because I have just enough training to be able to help yes. you. Yes. But not so much that I'm like... Trying to work on me. Trying to work on you. Right. Yes. And um, 
my marriage has taken a complete turn because this is these are bodily functions that we've never shared with each other in our marriage. And now I've not only had to pee and poop in front of my husband, but he has had to work the bidet controls in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, it's good for him. So I have no dignity left at all, people. None. I have zero dignity. In case you're wondering, somebody out there, please pray for my dignity. So, so um, and let's just remind everybody that you are right-handed. Yes, I'm right-handed. So right-handed, not only have you had problems with the whole getting dressed i can't get bathroom, dressed i can't pull my pants down but just researching and writing up your murder that was a challenge and so i was able to research voice to text and so i did this using google sheets which has a voice to text or voice it's called voice typing feature on it that comes with all the i guess the google apps which has been really awesome but i will tell you that it doesn't understand what i say so I've had to go in and and highlight some words and peck with my left hand on the keyboard, just like when I'm working. I'm working at about 20% speed right now when I'm trying to do my work, my real work. And then this has really slowed me down. And so there were times where I had to, where I would say a certain phrase and it kept, it kept typing bachelor swamp. <laughs> <laughs> If I get confused when I'm going through, because this is, of course, written in note form, because I mean, I, I wasn't going to write it in full sentences, I might get to a point where I'm like, I wonder what the hell that means, because it's just putting in random words for me. Yes. So um, the poor people in this, their names were, their, their names range from all sorts, like all across the alphabet. Right. So oh we'll God. see what happens, but I'm going to try my best. And so um, I'm actually reading it from my phone because I didn't have time to print it out. So, so if you've please had forgive me. shoulder surgery or if you've got shoulder or arm surgery coming up that will render you without the use of one of your arms, please send us an email and ask us questions because oh, Karen's got all the answers. I got Well, I don't have all the answers, but I got some of the answers and I will prepare you for what's to come and because if, I don't feel like I was well prepared. And if you've had this surgery before please, and you have Please let me know how you kept your dignity. Please do um, send us an email and let her know some tips and tricks. Yeah, because this ain't it. funny. This ain't funny at all. Because she, she's not having a good time. I'm not having fun, guys. But I am so thankful for COVID right now because of COVID, I work from home. If I wasn't able to work from home, I would have to take all of this time off from work. Yeah. And I wouldn't have enough leave to cover it all, and I would have to go on short-term disability, which means I would only be getting a portion of my pay, which would set us back in our bills. And it would just be a waterfall of it would be. bad yeah. dominoes falling. Yeah, so very exactly. thankful for yes. the situation that we're in right now. And... Um, the only thing I can say to end this whole shoulder situation is don't let things just sit and things are not going, going to work themselves out in your body. I was in pain since January and ignored it and then ignored it long enough that my colon situation happened and then I really put this on the back burner. And then after the colon healed, this became worse and I at one point was just not able to use my arm at all. And that's when I finally went to the doctor was when I couldn't even sleep at night. And then, you know, maybe if I had caught it a little bit earlier, we could have done some 
surgery that wasn't so drastic or maybe done some physical therapy that could have helped with some of this situation. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I know. You know, we all do the best we can. I know. I agree. And I think as women, especially as married women with children or unmarried women with children, women with children, women with spouses, women with anybody in their lives, somehow we put ourselves last on the list of maintaining right. and we need to get better about maintaining ourselves Absolutely. so we should maintain our health and we should ma- maintain our cars preach preach yes. sister preach. all right so blah 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 la 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 yada 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 what are you cooking oh my gosh i'm so excited because my sister wasn't feeling well Still i not. decided to make tea cakes oh my god this so, is my favorite i know our grandmother on our dad's side me who, mama. Who we called me mama. Um, used to come to visit us in Franklin. She lived in South Hill, Virginia. She would come to Franklin and she'd have a Tupperware container full of these Russian tea cakes, which were similar to a sugar cookie, but it had a lot of nutmeg in it. Yeah. So when you eat it, it just makes you feel warm. It and is so nice. It's just good for the soul. And my sister has perfected her recipe. She makes them just like me mama did. Well, we didn't, we never got the recipe um, from me, Mama, but I, I tried several recipes and combined a couple of recipes yes. into a cookie that I feel like is it, as close as we're going to get. I, I agree. It's not me, Mama, delivering them in a tin, but it is damn close. House bells, you know, she, <laughs> we, she may have even just had a, a mix. We have no idea. She could have had somebody make them for, for her. We don't know. She there were don't. secrets that she kept. There were secrets, yes. <laughs> Secrets from me, Mama's kitchen. Her barbecue sauce and the ketchup bottle, and her um, homemade sausage and biscuit. Yeah, gravy. Didn't she use like a canned biscuit? Mm -hmm. She said they were homemade. Yes, they're the green biscuits. Uh, Yeah, there was that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. whatever. That's okay. We. We loved, just, we loved her and we appreciated every time she came and she brought these tea cookies. cakes. We, we were would, always so excited. I remember we would keep them in the freezer in that Tupperware container. Yes. And they were so gosh darn good. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, that's lovely. So I'm, I'm so excited. I feel like this is going to heal me. At least my soul. I don't know about my arm, but it's going to at least heal my soul. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, so, and how funny that we used to call her me mama. It's like now, so we call... For those of you who don't haven't been listening, but <laughs> catch up. Um, our kids call our mother honey. Yes, and they call um, what do they call Darren's your husband's Graham and Pop? Graham and Pop, and then we had grandparents, Grandma Seal. Her first name was Lucille, and then we had. Grandpa Coogee. Grandpa Coogee. <laughs> Whose first name was Coogee. Yeah. Well, no. His nickname was Coogee. Well, okay. That's fine. Um, I just think it's funny all the names that people come up with. I know. To be called as From what I understand, the first cousin, the first grandchild of me, mama's. Well, I think it normally happens. The first grandchild is usually the one that assigns the name to the grandparent, unless there's a tradition. Right. Um, or there, there could be a break with tradition. So... Well, um, in the case of Mama, she wanted to be called Nana, and she was. She has grandchildren that she call has her called. Nana. She has some children that call her Nana. But my daughter Sarah was the first grandchild. But 
did not address my mother by name until she was four. She would not call her anything but, hey, you. So in the process of in that four years, other grandchildren were born, and those grandchildren were calling her Nana. Right. Like everybody else expected Sarah to do, but in breaking with tradition and the rebellious nature of my children, um, Sarah called her honey because that's what our stepfather called our mom when he addressed her a lot of times. It was, hey, honey, can you do this? Or, honey, do you mind doing this? And so one day at Thanksgiving, we're at their dinner table, and she gets up, and Grandy says, hey, honey, do you mind getting me a drink? And Sarah said, yeah, me too, honey. And we all looked at Sarah and said, who are you talking to? And she pointed to Mama. So that's how Mama became honey. Yep. So it's my understanding that our cousin Michael is the one that came up with me, Mama, and it's be- and he couldn't pronounce whatever it was she wanted to be called. He couldn't call her that. So he, he it became me, Mama. Yeah. And that's how it, it, so I don't even know what she wanted to be called, honestly. I don't either. I'll have to I don't look either. into that. Yeah, so, but yeah, so me, Mama. So let me just tell you about the recipe real quick. It is sure. just the easiest recipe in the world. Flour, butter, sugar, eggs, vanilla, and then you add, this recipe calls for a quarter of a teaspoon of nutmeg. I've always used a full teaspoon of mm-hmm. nutmeg in girl, mine. Girl, yes. And then um, I actually dust the tops of them with sugar and nutmeg combined to bake. And uh, just because we really love nutmeg. We but love nutmeg. But just the nutmeg as yeah. needed. Yes, definitely. If you're not a, a lover of the nutmeg, then yeah. feel free to back it off, but use at least a quarter. Yeah. So. so, all right, there we go. That's what Ooh. I'm doing. They're very easy to make. I use a biscuit cutter. She used to use, they're about the size of a, the rim of a glass. Yes. So it's not a small cookie. It's a nice big cookie. It, it is nice. And she used to use um, the jelly jars. jars. Yeah. The jelly jar glasses that we used to get at the fast food restaurants. Exactly. And she used those for her biscuit cutters. I love her. I know. Okay, well, I'm going to talk murder. Let's hear it. I'm going to talk some murder. Uh, First of all, welcome back to the kitchen because our Octobu series is gone. Last week we were back in the kitchen. We're back in the kitchen again. And I got to tell you, I did miss the kitchen a little bit. It was a good break in October, but happy to be back in the kitchen. I like our setting. I like our aesthetics here. This is where, this is the nucleus of where we socialize anyway. Yes. All right, so I'm going to talk murder now. And this murder takes place, hold on, oh my God. I don't have good control, guys. I'm so sorry. This story takes place in May of 1985 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Katie Eastburn was married to Air Force Captain Gary Eastburn. They were stationed at Port, Port, that's not it. It's Pope Air Force Base in North Carolina. And Gary is on temporary duty in Montgomery, Alabama at officer school. And he had about a week left before graduation. After graduation, they were going to be shipped over to the UK because Gary was going to become the U.S. liaison to the British Naval or Air Force forces, something. He was going to be a liaison between Great Britain forces. And, yeah, so big honor, big honor and a really good position. So, sorry. At that point, of course, there are no cell phones. 
So he usually um, would talk about once a week via the payphone outside of his dorm room to Katie right. and check up on Katie. Um, he got concerned when he hadn't heard from them in over a week. They usually spoke on Thursday nights. Um, but Gary also knew that Katie had her hands full. They were they had three active daughters. Kara was five, Aaron was three, and Jana was twenty one months. Wow. She had a lot going she on. She did have a lot going on. Yes. Holy cow. And while Gary was away at officer school, she was busy trying to get their lives organized for the move. Right. Because they're they're moving, shipping overseas. Yeah, overseas there's three babies. Holy yeah. Cow. So you got a lot to do. So one of the hard tasks, oh my God, I'm not on any pain medicine today, but I think that's what's missing. One of the hard tasks that she had to do was to find placement for their dog. They didn't think that the dog would do well with the overseas flight, which I can imagine, nor would it, would it do well in quarantine when they got there. So they felt it was more humane, although very difficult to find a home for the dog. Right. So she put an ad in the military, the local military paper, and was asking a small fee just to make sure she had serious replies. I think it was like $10 or something. So when they missed their weekly phone call together, at first, Gary wasn't too concerned, but over the course of the next few days, he did continue to call to try to contact Amy. Right. And then it became Mother's Day, and he still had not heard from her. Oh, he and must have been he, going crazy because he's yeah, so he's far in, away. He's in Alabama, yeah, So and he can't just leave. So he oh. can't go, oh, I can't find my wife, I'm going to go. Right. So anyway, he, um, he really is desperate to establish some sort of contact with her. And so finally on Mother's Day evening, he calls the Fayetteville police, and he asks an officer to go over to the house. Um, and the officer went, didn't see anything alarming at the house, saw the car sitting in the driveway. He knocked on the door. There was no answer. So he just left a note on the door and said, please call your husband. Oh, okay. Yes. So at the same time, Gary finally got in, t- in touch with some of their neighbors, a couple that lived near them. And he asked the neighbors to go by and check on Katie and the girls. And so the neighbors said, well, you know, we had been concerned because we noticed the newspapers have been piling up at the house. This is back when people got the newspaper every day at their house. Yeah. And um, the newspapers have been piling up for the past, you know, few days. And normally the, the house is bustling with activity. The girls are running around. Katie's out in the yard with them. And we haven't seen anybody out, but we just felt like since the car was still in the driveway, maybe Katie wasn't feeling well or maybe one of the girls was sick. Right. So he went over and saw the note from the police officer, and he knocked on the door. There was no answer, but they could hear a baby crying. Oh, God. So they called the police back and said, you need to get back out here. So when they walked into the house... Um, the police found Katie, Kara, and Aaron had all been murdered. Oh, gosh. Baby Jana, 21 months old, was found unharmed in her crib. Wow. But near death due to starvation and dehydration. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Jana was rushed to the hospital, and the doctor said she was hours from death. Oh, bless her heart. I know. So police contact Gary and ask him to return home immediately because they wanted to give him the news in person. Wow. 
The crime scene the police had walked in on was gruesome. Katie had had her underwear cut off of her. Um, Her blouse and bra had been torn open. Her throat was slit, and she had been stabbed multiple times. Wow. She had also been raped. Little Erin, five years old, was found in Katie's bedroom, and she had also had her throat slashed. Wow. Kate Kara, who was three, was found in her own bed underneath the blanket as if she was hiding. She had been stabbed multiple times through the blanket. Oh, my God. And her throat had also been split. Split? No, it had been slit. I'm so sorry. So, we have a really heinous crime that has happened. Yes, we do. um, In this neighborhood of, of military people. Yeah. So... Investigators start looking for any witnesses in the neighborhood, and they had a witness that came forward that said she had seen a man leaving the Eastbourne residence at 3 o'clock in the morning, and she thought it was strange. Hmm. She was able to give a description of the driver and of the car, and the car was a white Chevrolet Chevette. Oh, wow. I think we had a Chevette at one time. No, we didn't. We had a, a Citizen. A citation. We had a Chevy citation. Chevy citation. It was a lemon. It it was a lemon or it could have been teenage drivers. I'm not sure which. No, it was bad when we got it. Okay. So, um, at the same time, police were so desperate to find some kind of a lead that they turned to the only living witness, 21-month-old Jana. They took Jana to a child psychologist to see if the psychologist could figure out if she knew anything or had seen anything. Right. And after several sessions with Jana, the psychologist said that she had heard the killer, but she never saw the killer. And she was also too young to understand what had happened. Oh, that's a little hard. Police figured the reason that Jana was left unharmed was because she was too young to identify the intruder. Right. And the other two were old enough to make some type of identification. Gosh. So when police um, talked to Gary, he did mention that they had put the ad in the newspaper about the dog, and Katie had said that a man had come over to take the dog. And so police start trying to find the man that answered the ad about the dog. Right. By the way, the dog was not at the home when the police arrived. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So police were able to track down a man named Timothy Hennis who had answered the ad in the paper. When they talked to him, he said, yep, he had gone over to the Eastburn's residence and that Katie and the girls um, had met him at the door and that he had met the dog and liked the dog and actually paid for the dog and took the dog home. Right. So the dog was at his house. So police asked Hennis for hair, blood, and fingernail samples, which he provided. And as the detectives were walking him out to his car, they noticed that Timothy Hennis drove a white Chevrolet Chevelle. Dang, it! They arrested him. Right. Well, yeah. At the time, Timothy Hennis was an Army sergeant stationed at Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So he was at a nearby military base. Oh. So, once they arrest Hennis, police noticed that he looked a lot like the description that was given to police by the neighbor that said that she had seen somebody leaving the home at 3 a.m. They also discovered that someone had stolen and used an ATM card of Katie's. Oh, great. 
and a witness was able to identify Hennis as the person that had used the ATM card at the machine. Everywhere investor investigators turned, it seemed like the evidence just turned back to Timothy Hennis. Yeah. Who, of course, is proclaiming his innocence. Like, I, I went over there to get the dog. That's all I did. So, Sorry. Uh, Keep going. Okay. So, and Timothy had no record of any violent crimes. So, investigators were kind of puzzled about this. But the theory that they developed was they learned that Timothy had approached a woman for sex on the same night. And he was rejected. And so they felt that when he was rejected by that woman, he decided he was going to go take out his frustrations and get what he wanted from what he considered an easy target. Great. Yep. But, I mean, why the little girls? Because <clears throat> they could identify him. Ugh. I mean, that's the sad truth. Sad, sad truth. So... In 1986, about a year after the murders had taken place, Timothy Hennis is brought to trial. Okay. Now, remember, 1986, we didn't have DNA testing. We did not. So, even though investigators had Hennis' DNA through the blood sample and the hair sample, they were not able to um, test it. They even had semen swabs from Katie's body. By the way, semen swabs is which came, what came out as bachelor swamp. When I kept talking oh. about it, somehow, somehow Google thinks that is... Um, bachelor swab. Yeah, semen swab and vaginal swab. They both came out as bachelor swab. Wow. So, um, again, these these pieces of evidence couldn't be tested and, used, or, and they couldn't be used against tennis. Right. In the trial. So, the defense attorney was very quick to point out that the prosecution had no physical evidence linking their client to the murders. All they had was a couple of witnesses that are not reliable and the fact that he had bought a dog from Katie in the recent days. That's it. So after a lengthy trial on July 4th, 1986, the jury returned a verdict of guilty on all four counts, which included three murders and rape. Wow. Four days later, he was sentenced to death. But there's more. Of course there is. So, um, by the way, his wife and his attorneys continued to stand by him and proclaim his innocence. And at one point, while on death row, Timothy even received a letter from someone claiming to have committed the crime. The person that wrote the letter seemed remorseful that Hennis was sitting on death row for a crime that this person had committed. So, of course... But this, not remorseful enough to turn themselves in. Exactly. So, of course, um, Hennis's attorneys continued to fight, and they um, they went through the a bunch of appeals processes. So, um, at one of the appeals, the attorney, the defense attorney, even appealed on the fact that he felt he, as the attorney had not been able to provide adequate representation to the trial case because it was such a horrible and disturbing case that wow. he could not give his client what he needed. Wow. So um, eventually their appeals go up to the Supreme Court, which is exactly what happens. You know, yeah. you lose an appeal, you lose an appeal. It goes through all these different courts and it ends up in the Supreme Court. Yep. So the Supreme Court of North Carolina overturned the verdict. Oh, shoot. They granted Hennis a new trial 
saying that prosecutors had used inflammatory inflammation to sway the jury unfairly, including the display of incredibly graphic and disturbing images from the crime scene. What? I mean, I'm sorry if they're disturbing, but I mean, this is what the crime the was. Crime That's scene. this is the crime that we're trying. People need to know how, how heinous this crime is. Was raped and murdered, and her daughters were murdered. Yes, and one of the daughters was murdered in the same bedroom as where the woman was found. Oh so she probably walked in on the attack because she heard her mom screaming and walked in, and then was killed. Yeah. And the other three-year-old was hiding, terrified, under her blanket. And the man still felt like he could go and murder that kid. Yeah. So give me a freaking break, heinous. Heinous and disturbing my ass. <laughs> okay. Whew. Okay. So after two years on death row, Hennis goes to trial again. And the new trial began in 1989. The prosecution stood by their evidence and their star witness who said that they had seen him leaving the house in the Chevrolet, white Chevrolet Chevelle. So my thing is, okay, let's just say she didn't, she wasn't spot on with his description. Well, she was damn spot on with the car. Yeah. Like, hello. So anyway, they stood by all of their evidence that they had presented in the first trial. They were very confident that this was going to end up exactly like they thought. Um, the defense was very hard at work. They were able to produce another witness oh. who claims to have seen a different person leaving the Eastburn residence about that time as well. So it must have been a party. And he didn't look anything like Timothy Hennis. Oh. How convenient that they were able to find that person the second go-round, but not the first. Right. So, um, and the defense once again brought up the fact that there was no physical evidence connecting Hennis to the murders. So they stated anyone could have committed this crime, and it, including the person that had written the letter to Hennis while he was in prison. Um, this time, Hennis actually took the witness stand and in person denied having anything to do with the murders or the rape the only thing that he said was, I went to their house and bought the dog. That's it. Right. I had no other contact with these people. So on April 19th, 1989, a jury comes back with a verdict. And they find him not guilty. Wow. Yes. Not guilty of the triple murder charges and rape. And, um, of course, Gary Eastburn is crushed by this news. And by this verdict, and he was always convinced that Hennis had to be the intruder that killed his wife and two daughters. Right. And he said it never, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice because I have dictated this and now I'm reading this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the water break. So anyway, um, Gary Eastburn felt, never felt like it didn't sit, bleh, okay, bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Gary said it never sat right with him that Hennis never apologized to the family for their loss or didn't even say that he was sorry for the loss, like not saying I did it, but oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened to you, this happened to your children and your wife. Like he never had any emotion about any of the 
the killings. So weird. So um, he said that never, that always kind of stuck in his craw a little bit, that the guy just never seemed to have any emotional connection to what was going on. So uh, Gary was released from prison. Not wow. Gary. Gary was in prison. No, Gary, Gary was not, not in prison. prison. He was in emotional prison. Yeah. Hennis was in physical prison, and he got out. Nice. So at one point, the TV show, A Current Affair, actually paid um, Hennis and his wife to come on their show. Oh, wow. And Hennis on the show said that the only reason the prosecution went after him was that they wanted the murder... They wanted to pin the murder on somebody and get it out of the news because it was so heinous right. and disturbing and people were scared. So he said that's the only reason that they honed in on him and it was just his bad luck that he had gone and bought the dog. Right. So um, it seemed that whoever had committed this heinous murder in Fayetteville, North Carolina had gotten away with it. The case went cold because there were never any other leads developed other than Timothy Hennis. Right. By the police. So Gary Eastburn goes on with his life. He raises his sweet daughter, Jana, on his own. They um, they did end up transferring to the base outside of London as scheduled. And um, eventually he met an English nurse, oh. and they were married in 1991, and she became the only mother that Jana knew. Oh. And, um, you know, they were they were a happy family. Um, Jana was riddled with horrible survivor guilt all of her life. She was haunted by the loss of her sisters and her mother right under her nose, and yet she had no way of helping to solve the crime because she was so young. And, you know, there were times where she would say, "I, I just wish she had killed me too, because she just, especially in those first eight years with her dad, and she, she's really feeling the hole in her family. I'm sure, yeah. So, Timothy Hennis returned to his family and resumed his career in the Army as planned. He had a very successful career. He served in the first Desert Storm War. He served in the war in Somalia. And he gained multiple promotions and had high marks from military leadership all of his career. He had a stellar career. There was a book eventually written by a journalist named, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, and and it says Scott, oh, his name was Scott Wisnant, but it says Scott was near. Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) But the book is called um, Innocent Victims. So it was actually eventually turned into a TV movie, of which I didn't know. And um, the movie and the book portrayed Timothy Hennis as the guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time, proclaimed his innocence, and they also pointed fingers at um, investigators for never developing any other leads besides Timothy Hennis. It pissed off the investigators, and they said they were not involved in the making of the the writing of the book or the movie, the making of the movie. And um, they said that he had that the author had taken the wrong angle at pointing the finger at them. And they stood by the fact that they felt Timothy Hennis was the only suspect because he was the murderer and that he had gotten, gotten off scot-free. So like I said, this has become a cold case in North Carolina, 
20 years later, what do we have? DNA Thank testing. the good Lord for it. 20 years later, you got a new batch of detectives. You got cold case detectives. You got people that specialize in cold cases, which I love. Yeah. And somebody decides they want to go through the Eastburn murders. Yeah. So they start going through. And lo and behold, this investigator finds the DNA swab from Catherine Eastburn's vaginal swab right. that contained semen, which we know was not her husband's because he was in Alabama. Right. So they send it off and um, they also send off the samples of hair and blood from Timothy Hennis to see if they match. Right. So now... This is going to finally say, is Timothy Hennis guilty or innocent? Yeah. And if he's innocent, then who committed the murders? Right. So when the DNA testing all comes back, the report showed, drum roll please. Are you sitting down? Um, I have to stand because okay. I'm cooking. But... Well, you should be sitting down. As a matter of fact, police even called Gary Eastburn in London and said, Gary, actually he was not in London. London. At this point, he was stateside. But they said, Gary, are you sitting down? Uh, and right. he said, no, should I be? And they said, yes. So everybody at this point should be sitting down. Okay. Okay. The lab testing revealed that the vaginal swab, not the bachelor swab, swab mm -hmm. from Katie was a match to that of Timothy Hennis. Wow. He freaking did it. Asshole. Freaking, freaking, freaking. Mama, I'm going to cuss that motherfucker. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I, I'm done cussing. Well, I might not be done cussing. So, anyway, now we have a problem because in our country we have something called... Statute of Limitations. That is not what it's called. It's called Double Jeopardy. Oh, crap. Yeah. So, the state of North Carolina has tried him convicted him, put him on death row, recognized his appeal was vi was vile. viable. Is that the word? Viable. Sure. It was a good appeal. So they granted him a new trial. They tried him again. They find him innocent. At this point, they can't try him again. So mm -hmm. I looked up the d double jeopardy meaning. They can't meaning. try him again for murder. They can't try him for rape either. They had tried him before for rape. Yes. There were four counts that he was tried on. Three murders and one rape. Dang it. Yeah. Well, can they change murder to a different degree? No. Dang it. No. So I looked up what double jeopardy is, and I found the actual clause. So, because um, I feel like we all just say, well, you can't just be tried. You can't be tried twice for any crime. Right. So it, what I found out was it's part of the Fifth Amendment, which I like. I didn't know that. It prohibits anyone from being prosecuted twice for substantially the same crime. And the relevant part of the Fifth Amendment says that, I like the way this is written, that's why I'm reading it. No person shall be subject for the same twice put in jeopardy of life and limb. Okay. <laughs> it was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but that means that the state of North Carolina cannot try him again. No, they cannot. But just because the state of North Carolina couldn't try him, again, doesn't mean that there isn't a loophole. Because Timothy Hennis was a retired, by now, a retired military soldier, the Army could try him. Yes. 
So they ordered him out of retirement, which they can do. Yes, they can. They put him back in uniform. And then they said, you are going to be tried in the military justice system for these murders and rape. Got you, little bastard. That's right. We got you. Got you. So Hennis goes to trial under the military system. The Eastburns, of course, attend. And they are in awe when they find out that Hennis had retired in a community near Seattle, Washington, Seattle and Washington State. Shockingly, Gary and his wife and Jana and her boyfriend had all settled in the same area within 30 minutes of each other. Wow. How creepy is that? That's insane. It really chilled Jana to know that this man was living so close and that he was walking around in the community free. Yeah. What if he had recognized her? Exactly. Like, how freaking scary. Or what if it triggered some deep buried memory in her and she recognized him? Yeah. Like, holy freaking moly. That's insane. That gives me chills. Yeah. And it gave her chills, too. So the trial begins... And Hennis was ordered back to Fort Bragg to face the triple murder charges and the rape charges after two decades of freedom. It is always going to get you. It's going to freaking catch it's up get to you. you. So just don't do it. So um, the Eastburns have to go and sit through yet another trial. Wow. So the defense relied heavily on the pristine military career of Timothy Hennis and how it was completely different from the person the prosecution painted as the cold-blooded rapist and murderer, not just of a woman, but of two of her small children. Right. How could they be the same person? And that's Easily. what that's what they said. How could this how could this be? Look at this man. Right. I mean he goes to church on Sundays. Okay. Okay. That means nothing. Nothing. So we see this a lot in in defense attorneys that make this argument. Now they argued that the DNA was questionable because it had been stored for so long before testing. Mm. Yeah, so they bring that up a lot in a lot of these trials, these cold case trials now. They, they're saying that the, the DNA is not reliable, but I think that that's, I don't give that a they've shit. gone back and proven that that's baloney. I think so. So, um, so Hennis gets on the stand again and says, yes, I went over to Katie's house to buy the dog. And then what happened was later that night, I snuck back over to Katie's house to have consensual sex with her. Oh, yeah, because she. So twenty I'm years sure. later, we're remembering this, right? And she's like so attracted to this man buying a dog. She's got three children running around her skirt and trying to get ready to move to London. And what she wants is a booty call from this dude. Right. So what an asshole! And what an asshole for bringing her character into question. Yeah. So, and what, the kids were making too much noise, so you had to kill them? Like, right. you know, if it was consensual sex. So he's saying, we had consensual sex, I left, and then this other guy came in and murdered them. Jeez. Yeah, so what an asshole. So um, he suggested that Katie was very lonely while her husband was away. Oh, for heaven's For sake. his training. He's such an ass app. Um. Okay, so the military court doesn't believe a damn thing Timothy Hennis has to say, and they find him guilty. Good. And they find him guilty of the rape and murder of Katie and the murders of Aaron and Kara. He's led away in handcuffs and sentenced to death. Wow. Yep. Um, afterwards, Gary and Jana Eastburn spoke to the press, and after, after the verdict, 
and the sentencing, and they express sympathy for Hennessy's family because they know how difficult it is to lose a family member, no yeah. matter what the occasion. Now, those are stand-up people. Yes, they are. Stand-up people right there. Unlike Hennessy, who went through now three trials and not only has said, hey, I empathize with you, I can't imagine this horrible loss, but now I've said your wife's a hoe. Yeah. So, ass white. Good God. So, anyway, um, the court... Oh, so they, they put him on death row. And where he where death row is for the military is in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He has unsuccessfully appealed his case several times. I was able to find a news report from March 6th of this year. And it's actually from a website called deathpenaltyinfo.org. If you ever want to look up some information on the latest <laughs> news, what's happening on death row right. across the All country. Right. That's where oh, you can I go. Oh, I love a new website. I know. So um, he had appealed and they had upheld that he had appealed based on the fact that he said that the military didn't have jurisdiction over him after being retired, which is not true. They have jurisdiction over you for the rest of your life. So, um, they rejected it on February 28th of yeah, this year. because when you've retired from the military, did you still get benefits? Thank you. Yeah, so yeah. they've got you. They got you, baby. So the court um, ruled against tennis and um, said that they do have jurisdiction over your stupid ass. <laughs> so that was the last news report that I could was find that on Timothy. It was. It was the official court document said, we got you, we got your white ass, and we are going to try you, and we have jurisdiction over your dumb ass. There you go. So, I um about executions. I was wondering, like, have people been executed by the military? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure they have. The last time capital punishment was executed through their military system was in 1961. So they have not put anybody to death since 1961. Wow, so I guess he'll just sit on death row. There are currently four death row inmates awaiting execution under military justice, including Timothy Hennis. Well, there you go. So there's been a new policy under our current administration that clears the legal path to resume death row executions. And all it was was it just switched from... Um, using the certain type of drugs that were controversial mm-hmm. over to a different type of drug. Right. So as of this year, they've given the green light to start putting these guys to death. Now, whether that will actually happen or not, I don't know. But um, I just I just want to let you know that he's sitting there with four other really bad men. Good. And he, um, I hope he's having a great time. He's just rotting away in Leavenworth, Kansas. Yes. His wife still stands behind him in his innocence. Oh my gosh! Of but course. you know, some how, people say how can you stand behind? Some him? people say that he was um, that she was the one that rejected him for sex. Other people say he was out. He was out trying to just find sex outside of his marriage, and that you know he got pissed off or whatever. I don't know. There are a lot of different theories, but either way, I, he's found guilty and he's rotten. So what are you looking for? Um, I don't know. I'm just looking. All right, we'll just keep looking. Yeah. That's wow, my that murder. So, that That's crazy. the story of my murder. Not was, my murder, but a murder that I yes. found interesting. Yeah. Because the whole double jeopardy thing it's and the military justice crazy. and yeah, wasn't expecting any of that. 
Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, so where are we? I've got my second batch of cookies in the oven. Okay. And I've got about nine minutes left on that. I think we need to take a pause and we'll swap around and I'll tell you a tale. Yes, but before we pause, I want to tell you something. Okay. We have social media. Oh my God. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Who we are have we? it. We have social media. Who the hell all of that. Are we? We've got all the social media. We're we're all social media tycoons. Whoa. We're tycoons. We do. So, yeah, so um let's just go over it so we so in case people are tuning out because my voice is hoarse or whatever, hopefully they're still listening. Oh my god, are you implying that they're gonna tune out for my murder? No, I just think that sometimes they pause when we get to a pause, they say, Oh, I'll listen to this the rest of this tomorrow. Right. So they may not find out until later. And I right. want them to know right now that we have social media. Yeah. So we have um Instagram. Yes. And it the handle for Instagram is at Sugar-coated murder. Yeah. Look out. That's so convenient. Yeah. We tried to make it simple. Yeah. Yeah. So and then we have... Follow um, us on Instagram. Tell the people about our Facebook. Oh, my gosh. We have a Facebook fan page. I love it. We have 159 friends. Y'all are missing out if you are not one of our close friends. One of the 159 close friends. That's very true. And it's so. just... I mean, it's so easy. Just go to Sugar-coated murder podcast fan page when you're it's in facebook go up to the search bar and type those type words it in. in and then request to be a friend and we'll say heck yes we'll because we don't in. turn away anybody because we need more friends we always need more friends yes you cannot have enough close friends no. like these people these people are close close oh my god very close friends so close so close they use our email tell them about our email address oh my goodness we even have email <laughs> That it's insane. It's insane. And uh, let's see, what is our email address? It starts with murder. Yes. And then it goes dot. murder dot sugarcoated at gmail.com. Gmail. Yes. Murder <laughs> dot sugarcoated at gmail.com. So easy. Send yeah. us an email. We Send had an email, an email from a fan last week that said, I don't really have anything to say. I just want you to know. I love you. And we thought that was so sweet. And we said, we're sending you all the hugs. All the That hugs. fan got all the hugs. All of them. Yeah. Every single all one of them. So if y'all were lacking in hugs last week, it's because this super fan got all the hugs. All the hugs. Yes, yeah, that's right. So if you want all the hugs, give us a shout. Exactly. Give us a toodly do. Yeah. All right. That's it. I think oh, that's wait. We have. Oh, we do have a. We have a. a, a what is it called? A website. A website. No, that we don't to tell. It's, merchandise. We do. That wasn't it? No, it's a we have a tree link. We have oh, a Oh Jesus, here we go oh. again. I'm gonna smack her. Oh, what's it called? Link tree. Right. I was so close. No, a because tree a tree link. link is something you're trying you go to a tree and you find a link. Uh, or you go to a link and find a tree. We have a link tree. It's so super cool because it is like a tree with links. You click yes. on the link. It's, it's a our, list of all the links where you can find us. Yes. So it makes it easy to. It shows where you can get our merchandise. It takes you to our podcast. It takes you to our web page. It takes you to Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the big the big platforms. Yeah. And it also if gives you, you the opportunity. Yes. If you would like to send a donation in to support our podcast or 
Buy us a cup of coffee. You can do it. Or right a there. spot of tea. A spot of tea. Or if you want to contribute to my wellness fund, that okay. would be a great idea. Yeah, that's a, big, that's a big one. Um, but if you want to support us through our for support our podcast in any way, we always have a need to buy baking supplies, um, to upgrade our mic maybe one day, we'll see, and maybe some software for our computer. We are happy. We would love to take your donation. Yes, so because right podcasters don't make money until their listeners help them. Exactly. Yeah, well, we've been going for less than a year. We're, we're getting close to our one-year anniversary. So, you know, for podcasters, it takes some time. Yeah, it does take time. Especially in a competitive market to really get your name Yeah, and there. we are in a very competitive, we're in a competitive market with a really unique niche. We Yes, indeed. Because we're us we're and us. we're individual. Yeah, and they're not. And they don't have y'all, we have y'all. Exactly. So, and we're not sharing. There you go. All right, yeah. we're going to pause. Now we're going to pause. And then I'm going to talk murder to you. Woo-hoo! And we're back. We're back. You can't get rid of us that easily. No way, Jose. <laughs> All right. So the timer set on the cookies. When the timer goes off, I'll probably be the one that has to get up and take the cookies. I out. would imagine so. <laughs> so pause, yeah. There may be a little pause in the story in about six minutes. That's fine. Okay. On the morning of December 17th, 1992, Kristen Huggins was up and getting ready for a big day. Kristen was 22 years old. She had recently graduated from art school and had just been commissioned to paint a mural at the Trenton Club. Now, the Trenton Club was a, I don't know if they really have them anymore, but um, it was like a members only. Excuse me, a members only club where kind of the upper crest of the area would go. They had dining and dancing meetings. You could play squash when squash was popular. Okay. They had workout equipment. So no, I like a good game of squash. Like the men's would go to the sauna. The men's would. The men's. The men's. Yeah. The men's and uh, they would hang out and smoke cigars. That You know what I'm talking about. You get the idea of what the, the club, a Trenton club might be. Yeah. So it was the first commission that Kristen had ever gotten. So she really was making a huge effort to be on time. Her parents lived in Pennsylvania, but it wasn't too far of a trip from where they lived to the Trenton Club in New Jersey. Trenton, New Jersey. Um, so she's up. She's getting ready. There's a hustle and a bustle. Everybody's excited. She says her goodbyes. And she jumps into her, she's got a bright red Toyota MR2. Do you remember what they look like? Yeah. They're mm-hmm. real sporty, two-seater. Oh, yeah. I always thought it was cool because the trunk was in the front. Um, oh, yeah. Now, they don't do that much anymore. But no. um, it's probably safer to have the engine in the front <laughs> rather than in the back because of the whole rear-ending situation. But... She loved that car. It was her pride and joy. She kept it clean. She kept it neat, um, which is more than I can say for what my car looked like when I was 22. <laughs> so Two. she headed on her way. And 55. And, <laughs> no, my car's in good shape right now. No, not mine. Right. <laughs> she made a quick stop to get some cigarettes at a gas station or convenience store and drove toward the club. 
Everyone was ex excited to hear how Kristen's day was. After all, the Trenton Club Commission was her first job, but no one heard from her. Never. She never returned. She never came back to her parents' house. The following, and her parents were like, okay, maybe she's celebrating and she's gone out to be with her friends. Yeah. And, you know, but so they gave it through the night. The sure. next morning they get up, her car's still not in the driveway. Mm -hmm. She's still not home. So they called her brother, her, their son, but her brother, <laughs> and, and said, you know, we haven't heard from Kristen since yesterday when she left to go to work. Have you heard anything? And he said, well, it's kind of weird because I got a call from the manager at the Trenton Club to tell me that Kristen never showed up to do the mural. Um, and her brother is actually the one that helped her get that job. Uh -huh. He had a connection there and was able to help her get that first commission, which is a really big deal for an art student. Oh, my you God, know, to yes. Be, Heck, yeah. To, to, to do get something that. that's going to stay right. in that local community and be seen by so many people. Exactly. It's huge. Yeah. Huge. So he was really shocked, too, that, that Kristen wasn't home because it was completely out of character for her to not be in touch yeah. With someone, at least. So her parents hang up with her brother, and then they call her best friend, hoping that maybe Kristen had gone over there, fallen asleep, whatever, and hadn't called. But she had not. And at this point, her parents are freaking out, and they call the police and report their beautiful daughter is missing. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Police meet with Kristen's parents, and based on Kristen's track record, her personality... They were able to quickly rule out the possibility that she ran away. Yeah. She was she was very happy. Unfortunately, the following day, the day after her parents reported her missing, Karen, Kristen, Kristen, not Karen. It's I'm Kristen, Karen Devaney. Karen. Karen. <laughs> Kristen's parents hear from police that they have found Kristen's car. Oh, no. A patrolman in Trenton had seen Kristen's sporty red car at a local tow lot, um, but noted that the car had been wrecked. So police go out to investigate, you know, first, is this really her car? You know, though the MR2s were hard to miss. They were super cute. Super adorable. I don't even know if they still make them, but back then, I don't, I don't know back in the either. 90s, it was like a big deal. It was we big were deal. driving pintos and... <laughs> You know, station wagon. So when you saw something really sporty, we were in like, the, wow. And we were in the family Buick. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so police go to the lot, and the first thing they notice is the car is covered in mud. It's not just covered in mud on the outside, but it is packed with mud on the inside. What? Mud. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Right. The license plate had been removed. All four tires were flat, and... There were no personal items on the inside. She had left with an art kit, her purse. Oh, yeah. Um, all the things that you would want to take with you to go paint a mural. Yep. And that art kit is not little. It's not like something you put in your pocket. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, it's um, going to be something her big. her had seen all of these, you know, she walked out with all of these things. So yeah. it's unusual for those to not actually still be in the car. Yeah. They decide to go ahead and... Um, try to see if they can come up with any kind of fingerprints or DNA evidence, anything they can. Again, it's clear that somebody's maybe trying to cover something up because the car is filled with mud. Well, that so doesn't even weird. make sense. I know, so weird. Fortunately, they were able to retrieve some fibers, 
and hair from the car, but there was no fingerprints, no, and no, um, there was no blood or anything that would indicate that a murder had happened in the car. Okay. Or that Kristen had been murdered. We don't even know. At this point, they don't know. We just don't know. I mean, we know because it would be on, on our, this podcast. Right. It wouldn't be on our <laughs> podcast, but they don't know yet. Well, maybe because, she's going to turn out to be the murderer. We don't know. We don't know. So, I mean, you know, but I don't know. I know. I know. I, I don't know. know. I'm learning. You are. <laughs> the investigators then go and interview Kristen's friends and family to see if there's any kind of person in her life that could potentially be a suspect that might want to do harm to Kristen. They, in the story, there, there was a guy. He was creepy. He kept asking her out. She kept turning him down. But he's really the only guy that they came up with that they could think of that could potentially be a creep that maybe would harm. Mm-hmm. It didn't pan out. Okay. Um, when I was doing the research, there was like a whole long thing about this guy and his background and blah, blah, blah. But to me, it's insignificant because it didn't pan out. Yeah. <laughs> he was not the guy. Well, sometimes if you're watching a, this on a show... They go through all that because it's suspenseful and it also eats up a lot of time. Right. It, it just didn't, he doesn't, the way this guy acted when they interviewed him, he doesn't need any kind of notoriety. So I don't want to mention his name. No, He's I a agree. jackass. Yeah. And he just needs to go blend in with the dark. Oh, dear. Yeah. So um, they focus And unfortunately, they focused, they did focus quite a bit of time on him because he was really the only potential suspect. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a little infuriating because I feel like, you know, maybe you have one person focus on him, but other people should be looking at other because you're wasting precious time and energy. So um, he had an airtight alibi. They sent the, they did take a hair sample from him. It was not a match. So okay. off he goes, off he goes. Off, off you go goes. into the wild blue yonder. So now they're going to go back and kind of try to track when Kristen left her parents' house, where did she go? Okay. Um, she she was a smoker. She really loved coffee. So there was a convenience store gas station just up the road from her parents' house. And um, she stopped there often. So police are assuming that that's where she had gone. So they go there, they ask for security tapes for that day. They've got their security tapes. Then they get some security tapes from the Trenton Club. Because sure. they've got security in their parking lot uh-huh. area. So they've got, but it's hours upon hours oh, of yeah. stuff. Right away, the convenience store, they're able, because of what time she left her house, Yeah, they're able to narrow down a time frame and they see Kristen come into the convenience store, she buys coffee, she buys cigarettes, she does not interact with anybody else in the store except for the cashier. Uh-huh. She leaves, and you can see her car leaving the lot, so it's got four tires that are inflated. It's not full of mud. It's not full of mud, it's not dirty. And she's in it. She's in it. So, okay, we've got a little bit further. So however long now it takes for her to get from this convenience store to the Trenton Club is... Now, what the heck happened? And it's and it's not really that far. So it ends up being like maybe a 10 to 15 minute window, maybe 20. Okay. Um, 
the investigators go and they chat with the club manager and they try to nail on nail down a time frame for when Kristen should have been there. Okay. At this point, the manager tells them that he remembered seeing a man in the parking lot the morning Kristen disappeared. He said he asked the man, what, what are you doing here? And the man said, I just needed to get my bike. And, you know, that was that. That was the only interaction that they had had. Okay. After looking at the man on the surveillance tape, they can see the man. They can see him getting a bike. They can see the, the exchange between the manager and the man. They feel like they need to find this guy and question him. But how the heck do you find one person in, you know, Trenton, New Jersey, yeah. who may or may not be from there? I mean, how, how do you do it? Especially back then. Yeah. The best way to do it is going to be <clears throat> TV. Take the take to the media. Okay. If you go and you say, okay, we're looking for this person as a potential suspect. That's not really what they did. They... Kristen's parents decided that they were going to do an interview and plead for whoever has our child. We just want her back. Okay. Just, you know, no harm, no foul. We just want our daughter back. Well, no harm, no foul. Right. Mm. Police didn't really agree with that, but (laughs) (laughs) they did try and give it some media attention. Attention. That's good. And um, they just wanted anything, just anything that could lead them to somewhere. A few days after they're on TV, a few teenagers show up at the police station in Trenton, and they give police a really big break. Good for those teenagers. Yes. Here we go. Get ready. Strap yourself in. All right. So these teenagers, who, by the way, are 14. Okay. Okay. So they're pretty young. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think 14-year-olds are much older. Back in the 90s, 14-year-olds, maybe not so much. Okay. Okay? And the teenagers have a a story. They tell the police, you know, we we saw the news conference with Kristen's parents, and we feel guilty, and we felt like we just had to come forward. They had actually been in Kristen's car and had been for a ride with their uncle, who told them that he had carjacked the car from a girl and killed her. Oh, God. They had been too afraid. And they just got in the car? <laughs> like, okay, uncle. Well, no, I think they got in the car while they oh, were in the car. They were like, where'd they, you get this cool car? They weren't like, he didn't say, hey, I carjacked and killed a girl. Hop in. I don't okay. think that's the way it went. Because that's the way I'm thinking, and I'll be like, uh, okay, uncle. I don't think that's the way it went. <laughs> Pretty sure not. Maybe you'll kill me, too. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Now, God. your version of the story makes more sense. Okay. So, and they had not come forward because their their uncle said, you know, as they are getting out of the car, if you say anything, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Right. Anyway, again, just 14. So, I didn't feel... That they were credible? No, I feel that they're credible, but I don't feel like they... I get why they were hesitant to come forward. Oh, my God, yeah. So... Yes. They didn't... It's... They didn't come forward that day and say, hey, we got a problem. No. They and waited. they might have like, been like, you know, Uncle Junior, he drinks a lot or something. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, oh, he's always talking about killing people. He's always. He's always got new cars. Like, he's always, you know, he's a jokester or whatever. And right. then they see the news and they're like, rut row. Oh, dear. Uncle Junior might have really done it. Right. Okay. The teens do remember seeing Kristen's ID. Their uncle oh. told them that he tried to use her debit card but couldn't get them to work. Um, he tried to get money out of the bank, and 
the police, that they actually gave them a name. They gave the police the name. This man's name is Ambrose, Ambrose, not Ambrosia, but Ambrose. Okay. Harris. Ambrose Harris. Yes. Okay. Ambrose, did he go by a different name, like uncle? No, I think they called him Ambrose. Dang. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd have done that. Yeah, no. That's a lot of, I, there a lot no, of mouth. There were no nicknames. There, there were no nicknames. No, they didn't yeah, later in the story, also known as Bro. Later in the story, there's a person that has a nickname, but Miss, Miss, there was never okay. a nickname in anything I saw. All right, well, let's go. What, what's up with Ambrose? All right, so they've got a name. They run it in their handy-dandy database. Mm-hmm. And here's what they find out about Ambrose. He's got a record. He's been convicted of assaulting Assaulting. Assaulting. I don't know no. what that is. Assaulting. 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 Yeah. Five other women. Oh, gosh. Both before and after he would have attacked Kristen. Hmm. Which, again, makes me wonder, why the heck are you on the street? Like, why are you free? If it was maybe one, I could see, okay, he's out on parole or he served his time or whatever. But five. That's dumb. Five. That's dumb. He was a serial rapist and a oh, serial God. kidnapper. That's great. That's a great resume there, Ambrose. I know. And after his encounter with Kristen, Ambrose had been arrested and convicted of kidnapping another woman. So it was really easy to find because he was in jail. Oh, gosh. Of course, when investigators go to ask him about Kristen, he doesn't want to t- tell him anything. No. So he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the good news is because he's a prisoner... They have. They can get his DNA. They got his his hair sample. Okay. So um, they take the hair. They send it off. Bingo! It's a match to what they find in Kristen's car uh, amongst the mud. With the mud, yeah. Nice try with the mud, buddy. What the hell? Right. So now we've got. He's like, I've been all up in this car. How am I gonna clean it? I can't afford a vacuum. I know. I'll put mud in it. Right. I'll just fill it with mud. My God. <laughs> Brilliant. Fruitcake. Brilliant. What a fruitcake. An ambrosia fruitcake. Right. (laughs) So now they know that Ambrose was in Kristen's car. They suspect that he's probably done something terrible to her. Yeah. But they got to find Kristen. Yeah. They don't have Kristen. They don't have... They've got nothing. And how the hell did did he get her? Exactly. So Kristen's parents decide, all right, we're going to put up a $25,000 reward and see if maybe anybody would come forward to claim a reward since people seem to be afraid of Ambrose. Well, lo and behold, the next day, a woman named Gloria Dunn, Gloria Dunn, okay? Gloria Dunn came forward to the police. Gloria said that she was a psychic and she had had a premonition that she felt would lead police to Kristen's body. Nice. She takes them to a deserted wooded area in Trenton. Okay. She walks them over to an area where they see a shoe sticking out of a shallow grave. Shut the front door. It's Kristen. Gloria found her. Um, They remove Kristen's body and they send it in for an autopsy. Oh my gosh, I'm just, I mean, can we just pause a minute on the psychic? Yes. Good job. Now, let's talk about your, your psychic. Remember when you, we talked about your psychic that found, yeah. that helped? Right. Tell me what most 
psychics are able to do. They're able to pinpoint a general location. Pretty much, yeah. Well, yeah. Very, yeah. very rarely are they able to take you directly to a grave. Well, so what my psychic did was she knew that there was a bunch of tall white ponds. It was somewhere in tall white ponds. And so they, they were riding around town and then they asked a ranger, like, where are we going to find a place that's got tall white ponds? And he says, oh, it's going to be over in this area. And they went over there and then she walked around and she said, I can feel her. She is right here. So she could walk around and she said, she's here. But they couldn't dig because it was on private property. Right. So she may not have gone straight to the body, but she was certainly within feet right. of where that body was. Right. So magical Gloria Uh-oh. has led them straight directly to the shallow grave of Kristen. Oh. Magical. I'm not yeah. feeling the psychic energy anymore on Gloria. Mm. So now they, they need to figure out, uh, Gloria, how the hell did you know that? Yeah. And she said, I had a premonition. And then police said, Gloria. Spell premonition. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't spell it, how, then you're not a psychic. How do we know? Like, how are we going to verify yeah. what, you're, what you're telling us yeah. is true? Give us some more right data. Now it's Give not us some looking, more details. It's not looking good for you. Yeah, you're right? looking a little suspicious. Exactly. Um, as the police really start to press her, Gloria snaps. And she says... I did not shoot that girl. How did she know she was shot? Psychic. Interesting, though, because they didn't have the autopsy report back, so they had no idea how she had died. Gloria, you got some spleening to do. <laughs> well, now, there have been some people that have contacted people on the other side about their death, and they've been able to communicate through different signs and symbolism how they were killed. Yes. Gloria... Not so much. <laughs> Gloria! It was very obvious that Gloria had been present when oh, Kristen no. was murdered. That wicked woman. What that a little wicked shit. Woman involved in this poor girl's murder. And now she's trying to get the $25,000 yeah, reward. Which, and saying I'm psychic, which then brings shade on a whole nother group I know. of people. She's not psychic. She's psycho. Oh, jeez. Gloria. I just really. Gloria, you're done. Get Eventually, Gloria, yeah, because <laughs> she's Gloria Dunn. You okay, get it, right? I got it, got it, got okay. Got it. Eventually, Gloria admitted to police that she had, in fact, been there when Kristen, when Kristen's life was taken. The autopsy report on Kristen's body comes back. Kristen had been raped, oh. shot twice in the head. Oh. There was dirt in her lungs, which means that Kristen had been buried alive. What the flipping hell? It took three years, but Ambrose finally stood trial for Kristen's murder. Was Gloria on trial? Gloria Dunn was the state star witness in the trial. So she flipped. Gloria flipped. Okay. She flipped. She testified that Ambrose came up with the idea to rob a luncheonette, which is like just a little sandwich shop that day because they needed money. And he, and it was, unfortunately, it was a little rainy that day, and all he had for transportation was a bicycle. And he said, I am not riding a bike to go and rob this luncheonette. So, what oh we need God. is a car. And we need a fancy one. 
I don't think he cared about what kind of car it was. It just, it's just bad timing because it turns out he and Gloria were right there next to the Trenton Club talking, talking about, about robbing this, this sandwich shop. And he needs a car. And he needs a car. Rented. And then Kristen pulls into the freaking parking lot. Oh, my God. So Ambrose tells Gloria, I'm going to take care of this. He goes and forces Kristen out of her car and into the trunk. He puts Gloria in the passenger seat, and he and Gloria speed off into the unknown. Well, Kristen was making all kinds of noise. Well, yeah. She was kicking, she was screaming, and it pissed Ambrose off. And he told Gloria, we're going to have to get rid of her. <gasps> so they drive out to this desolate, wooded area in Trenton, and Ambrose tells Kristen to get out of the car. And Kristen said, take my car, take my money, take everything, just leave me alone. Don't hurt me. Don't just don't hurt me. Yeah. I won't tell anybody. I won't. I swear to you. She is pleading for her life. Instead, Ambrose decided that she needed to remove all of her clothes. He then proceeded to rape her. I won't go into detail Please about don't. that. That makes my stomach hurt. And then after he was done, shot her. Where twice. is Gloria during all In of this? Head. Just watching? Mm-hmm. So she watched Ambrose rape this girl. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, Ambrose, you're a little off track. We were just going to rob a luncheonette, and now you're doing all this. Right. Oh, my God. So then Gloria and Ambrose dig a shallow grave. Ambrose throws Kristen in it. Still alive. Kristen is still alive. So Ambrose shot her one more time. They took $30 in cash and her ATM card. Video surveillance confirmed that Ambrose attempted to withdraw $400 from Kristen's bank account. When Ambrose was arrested for the other kidnapping that he was in jail for, he had a 22 caliber pistol on him. It was the same weapon used to murder Kristen. What a piece of trash. Right. What a piece of, of human waste. Right. So I went back and, and dug a little deeper, and I found the actual court documents and they actually threw her into a shallow grave, threw a mattress over her. They went and did something else, but I don't recall. And then they came, came back. back and they were going to bury her. They moved the mattress and she's still alive. And that's when he shoots the final shot. And then they cover her back up. So, um, and you. Gloria was with them the whole time. She is, I think she's worse than him. Right. I just think she's, I know she didn't do the deed, but to stand there, a human woman, and watch this other human woman being degraded and tortured and then murdered and you don't do anything, but, oh, I'm going to come forward when there's money involved that I might get some money for this. Exactly. What a piece of trash. Right. And she flipped. I don't give a shit she flipped. Her ass needs to be under the jail. Yeah. She flipped and she ended up with only 30 years. She got 30 years in prison for her involvement. Oh, these two people are nasty. Oh, God. You nasty you you mother truckers. On June 8th, 1994, Ambrose Harris was convicted of murder, felony murder, kidnapping, robbery, and aggravated sexual assault. He was sentenced to 
um, death because the murder was capital murder. Uh-huh. But of course, that has been overturned because they don't do the death penalty anymore. In New now Jersey? it's life without the possibility of parole. During his sentencing, Ambrose actually in the courtroom looked at Kristen's parents and told them that they owed him an apology because of the conviction. What the fuck? He said, I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Mama. That one really just, that one just talked right out. Yeah. He said, you guys are convicting me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. And you think it's me. And he's saying all of this to her parents. How you is he even allowed to address her parents? I guess he's allowed to address the, you know, at the end, the, they make their impact statements and then they ask the... Do you, have, do you have anything to say to the court? He's not supposed to turn around and talk well, to them. he did. He told her parents that he needed an apology. I hope they stood up and... I don't even know. What can you do to a person that would just put him in his place... In the courtroom without shooting him. Right. I'm I can't sure. think of another thing. I don't know what to do. I can't think of another I thing. I think I might have laughed at him. I think I might have, like, out of emotional hysteria, I probably would have laughed. Oh, and I might have said, uh, excuse me, Your Honor, I have more to say. Yeah, exactly. I want a, I want a, I want an addendum to my impact statement. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure that the judge was not happy with the situation at hand. Oh, gosh, no. That judge really kind of came down hard on him. I'm so glad. He was sentenced, uh, of course, to death. But he also got, um, for the the cap, for the cap capital murder charge, he was sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. But there were charges that were not capital charges. Sure. Yeah. And for those, he was sentenced to a total of two life terms plus 65 years with an 82-and-a-half-year parole disqualifier. Nice. And that nice. parole disqualifier means that you are not up for parole until you have served at least 82-and-a-half years. Nice. And nice. Ambrose was not a young spry chicken. Right. I think he was in his 40s when this happened. So there you go. The, um, the two of them are in jail. Now, Still? While Gloria is still there? Well, 30 years. So this happened, she probably was sentenced in 93 or 94. Yeah, okay. So but she's still there, but... Well, I 30 don't know years. about her parole. Exactly. If she didn't have a parole disqualifier, then... Didn't, there really was no... There was not a lot of media coverage about her. Yeah. So it really, I mean, technically could have been a he said, she said. He could have come back and said, hey, it wasn't me. She did it. Oh, that's... Yeah, but yeah she, she raped her. But she flipped, right? Yeah. Right. The first one to talk gets the deal. Exactly. That's how it is. Right. And fortunately, she talked about being a psychic, and but whatever. They got Ambrose in jail. Now, Ambrose, while he was in jail, or while in jail, while incarcerated. Whilst. Whilst incarcerated, <laughs> Ambrose went ahead and murdered another convict. Mudman Simon, his name. Mudman. Mudman. Is that ironic or not? It is kind of ironic. I wonder if he just was upset about the name. Like I should be called Mudman because I put mud in the girl's car. Maybe. And now you got Mudman, and I want Mudman, and the only way for me to get Mudman is to murder you. Yeah. So Ambrose, he's not going to see the light of day. Well, he shouldn't even be around people. To be honest with you, the only just punishment for him would be for him to be raped daily, for him to not ever have clothes on. 
for him to have to sleep in a ditch with a dirty mattress over him. Well, That's the only justice. Mud, with some mud in his in his cell, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he's getting that kind of... No, he's but not. But I'm sure he's not enjoying jail in Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. I understand he's probably not enjoying it, but maybe he is because he's the kind of person that would just fit right in. Maybe. He's disgusting. He's, he's a piece of human waste. So I don't think that he was born of God. I think he was born of the devil. I concur. I absolutely concur. And if we do go on a prison tour, I don't even want to go to this one because I don't want to have to think about him again. I only want to think I'm going to go talk to Gloria. All the wonderful things that he took away from that family and the possibility and potential for that beautiful artist yes. to have grown into something remarkable and to and have he, such an impact on the art world right and, and she was just starting out, out. just and starting out at, because he needed to rob a luncheonette and he didn't want to do it on his bike in the rain Which, by the way he never did he never got around to, to he got 30 bucks yeah and an atm card he couldn't use yeah and that's what her life was worth right that's what and Gloria didn't get to. shit no she got nothing I just she got nothing. I'm going to see Gloria. I need to speak with her. I have such things to say. Yeah. I have well, such things. Yeah. Such things. Let me know how it goes. I'm gonna. You can just give me a ride and wait outside. Okay. Because I'm going. <laughs> Mother I mean French yeah, fry. What I don't kind of like person, her. What kind of person she's not a person. That. She's yeah. not a person. She's not humane. She's not. Neither one of them are. No. That was heinous. It was Sugar. That was quite heinous. It was. Both of our murders t today were quite... Murder is Murderous. Murderous <laughs> are murderous. Oh, my gosh. No. Would a cookie make you feel better? So much better. All right. Well, yes. so give me a I'm going to say right here, right now to our fans, I have given up bad carbs. Let's not call it's, them bad carbs because we bake them so they can't be but so bad. They're the kind of carbs that don't agree with you. Bad for me carbs. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't want you all to stop listening because yeah, I got we found out that we're baking bad crazy carbs. Crazy skin rash on my fingers. And I know I'm allergic to something, but I don't know what it is. And my allergist is not of the thinking that we need to test for food allergies, unfortunately. So I had no choice but to give up all the things that I thought could possibly be leading me down this road of this terrible rash I was getting on my hands. And it, I mean, it was for almost a year I had that rash. It's gone. <laughs> now I have to figure out why. I don't know if it's a gluten sensitivity or what, but... So I won't be tasting the cookie today. I'll I will. I rely on Karen and her Because tasting. I need it for my healing. She needs it for her healing. So they're not bad carbs because in this instance, they're healing, healing carbs. Healing carbs yes. for Karen. That's right. Well, go ahead. Give me a cookie. Oh, you really want me to? I mean, I'm not pretending. <laughs> <laughs> you really are going to eat a cookie? I'm really right going to. I am because these people need to know how good they are and I need to let you know how yummy they are. Yes. Well, hopefully I got They it smell all, delicious. My my right. my kitchen smells like hearts of love. Oh, lots of love went into the making of these cookies. I know. I can smell it. Mm. Mm. They well, look beautiful. They're gorgeous colored. They got little teeny specks of mutmeg. Mutmeg. What the heck? <laughs> and um, ooh, they're just golden brown on the bottom. Yeah. And they're shiny. Mm -hmm. uh, there's everything about them. Oh, nice. Oh, 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 oh boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, sugar, you know what? Um, All right. Guys, right. y'all got to get this recipe. Yes. Send us an email. 
Send us an email, and you can do that on murder.chugacoda.com. We love y'all. We do. Have a wonderful week. Stay sweet. Don't kill people. Don't murder. Don't murder. Because if you kill people, we will talk about you. But we love you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.